Welcome to this edition of Sensemakers with Davey Swinson. The Sensemakers series is a creation that I'm pursuing, interviewing all the inspirational community leaders I know, people who are living outside the box, people living lives that are outside the norm, shall we say, and being successful doing it. The idea of Sensemakers is to continue inspiring people to follow their dreams, follow their truth, and be ultimately who they are. I was lucky enough to meet Davey probably like over a dozen years ago. Do you remember that meeting? I don't know, but I feel like it was outdoors. (laughs) It might have been been 2007. Am I thinking the right place? Yeah, I think 2007 and 8 up at the Smokies where we got to be penguins. Yeah. (laughs) Remember that? No. It was like this freezing cold festival. Oh, yeah. 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 (laughs) like the celebration of spring and yet it was like all the weekend raining and like 40 degrees outside and there was a group of us and I just moved back to Atlanta and I wasn't sure about life here and I decided Atlanta is going to be the place I put my heart in and try so I go to this festival and it was so cold and everybody just took a like a little Uh, space and time in the center of our penguin circle to warm up and get like group hugs and that's been like over a dozen years later and I would say those friendships of all of us in that group are definitely deeply deeply bonded right can I out you by saying it wasn't really a festival sure you can say anything you want okay because almost anything this is a (laughs) genius sense makers <laughs> right right uh yeah I mean to me it was a pagan ritual <laughs> and there was no cost of admission and I still I still do like that is my favorite ritual all year long um is that maypole ritual or whatever talk but, a little bit more about it talk about the maypole and what you like about it for people who've never done it or experienced it yeah so I think most people in this culture have kind of like caught a glimpse of it if they haven't seen it but um you know something about like druid germanic you know like that area having settled in this part of aesthetics unitas is like um we've seen a little bit of it so the maypole ritual is where long long story short um basically the community comes together digs a hole in the earth puts a tree like fells a tree prepares a crown with ribbons which are actually the community's prayers and then we weave them together in a dance around the pole and it becomes this braided pole that kind of grows all year with our prayers or stands as a reminder of our prayers for that year and then we chop it down um we chop it down the next year as a symbolizing like a rebirth, a new year, et cetera. And it's like May 1st or whatever the lunar calendar needs to say. Um, you know, uh, some witches go by May 1st and some go by like this, maybe more authentic timeline. <laughs> um, but yeah, we were doing that. And um, yeah, I still, I still do that with a, a different group of people, but I would totally go back to that group for sure. I remember my first experience doing it was that year, the Beltane event. And that 
weaving of the community and the ribbon and the maypole was just so special. And as you go around, I, ch I would always change ways in the middle. So I would be able to meet everybody's eyes and right. look at everybody's eyes and connect with them. I thought it was really bonding and special events. And then in December for the great light, we take that same maypole and we light more candles to represent our wishes once again in the returning of the great light. Right. Yeah, this is the first year in at least 15 or so that I haven't done that ritual. And I have like, I just have me and my daughter's ribbon like hanging on the wall for whenever. <laughs> A lot of my friends did maple rituals in their own little quarantines and things like that, or like them and their housemate. But I just, I had no strength at the time. I was, we planted a garden, <laughs> you know. I would like to talk actually on that, on that same festival. I met Gabriella, who, who at that time must have been like 15, maybe younger. Younger, yeah. Younger. So she's 25 now. Yeah, so that's about, yeah. So she was always a part of your life, all the festivals, all the events. And I just really want to commend you for being the kind of mother you were, the kind of single parent you were to deal with a special needs child throughout the whole time I've known you. You've always gone to war for so many people and specifically your daughter. Do you want to talk about what those challenges were or what your goal is for special needs people? Uh, sure. Um, since your questions include my past, which I never, I never actually like to talk about my childhood. Um, so, you know, content warning. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, I've had Gabrielle since I was 14 years old and, um, she probably would have died if she was born in a different hospital or born differently, uh, and she spent like two months in the hospital. She was premature, um, you know, breathing tubes, like all that stuff, which automatically means um, a lot of people have a lot of like, like in the hospital, they just want you to get to survival. They don't really care about quality of life usually, but um, prematurity and feeding tubes and breathing tubes automatically means um, sensory integration disorder. Right, so um, then she seemed, she seemed like slow in her stuff, in her uh, milestones until age two, we figured out, you know, she wasn't really hitting them and, and needed to start speech therapy and whatever, but she also started having seizures. So she had epileptic seizures. Uh, she was on a heart monitor for like six months and had apnea during feeding, which also may have been seizures, but um, that's the kind of thing that people don't really know. And basically epilepsy is a way to say, we don't know, but it's, you know, electrical storms of some sort in the brain. Right. And so we were in and out of the hospital for six years and, uh, it was just a lot, you know, because I, um, corresponded for high school, like, like basically I was like, ah, uh, I'm just not going to make it back to school. So I'm going to correspond. I bought all these textbooks from the school in Chicago and you like do the work, you send in your tests through the mail and you get, 
you know, your stuff back. And if you make less than a C or a D, you have to take a different test <laughs> until you get it right. So I probably did trigonometry like three times. Um, I still can't tell you what that's about, but- um, Nobody can, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I started uh, college early when I was 17 and I did two double majors at two different colleges um, with like nobody in my family had ever, like my mother had an associates, I think, but I'm not sure if anybody in my family had ever been to college. And um, so I didn't really have great guidance going on, but I was really privileged because my father had worked his ass off uh, long enough that he could pay for my college by then. So that was like a real leg up in, in privileged land, I would say. Um, but I knew I was like, I'm going to have to care for this person and like, you know, make money as fast as possible. So I just did the best I could. And, and then it was like, oh, I think I graduated cum laude, you know, accidentally with like a couple double majors, two different colleges. My kid was in the hospital most of the time, you know, um, we were doing like at least eight hours of therapy every week, uh, for her. And, uh, the end of the day, I would say the public school system is an absolute failure for anybody with disabilities. And our society in general is a total failure <laughs> for, for not being like the most ablest thing you can imagine. Um, so it's been like constantly working with this growing, you know, 23% of our population is actually disabled at some point in our life. So that's like about a quarter quarter of the population not being represented. And it doesn't really matter who the administration is. Every year, budget committee gets together and decides who's going to get a Medicaid waiver or some kind of funding. And like, you know, it's, it's just maddening. It's crazy every single year. And, and I would say, I make a lot of phone calls and I talk to a lot of politicians and things and basically none of them really know anybody with any disabilities and none of them know what parents with disabilities go through and it's it's super bizarre um but to paint sort of like an outline you either have you're either independently wealthy and you have enough money to pay for some whole other person's life for the rest of their life. Or um, your best bet is to get on SSDI and uh, you what can get- What does that stand for, sorry? Uh, like SSI for disabilities, which means you've never, you've never paid into it yourself uh, because if you can't have a job, you can never pay for SSI, right? Um, but you can only have up to $2,000 to your name at any given time. Oh my God. <laughs> um, and so that, that means that somebody has to financially care for you if you actually can even have $2,000. Like we've never really had that problem. Um, but uh, if someone left her money, like say somebody died or like something happened to me, then everything connected to SSI could be canceled immediately. And that would be health insurance, her jobs, which are through vocational rehab, all of her therapy, you know, uh, all of her day programs and her social life just goes away, you know. And, and so all these things are like tied into eligibility for SSI 
in our culture. And, um, and I don't know how that got created. I think that people think that it's easy to manipulate the system, but every time I go to the SSI office, I just want to like grieve because as somebody with a bachelor's degree that speaks English as my first language, I think I'm smart sometimes. I absolutely cannot tell these people like, I'm like, there's no way they have a chance to navigate this. I know so many disabled people, I can just be like, is this what your diagnosis is or whatever? And they're like, yeah, how did you know? <laughs> and I'm like, what's your support system like? Can I give you my card? You know, like, can I just go ahead and tell you everything I had to work really hard for, you know? So awesome. I just want to commend you seriously. Cause like I said, I've seen Gabrielle grow up, you know, and what an amazing person she's become and what amazing parents you are. Like I really honor you and commend you and for you to share your information and all the hard work you've gone through for, throughout your life. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to have a child at 14 and then be confronted with disability and pull yourself up from nothing to getting a degree to having this amazing life. So I really, really, really admire you and commend you wholeheartedly. Right. Thanks. Seriously. <laughs> Good job. Good job. I'm always like, oh, okay, now it's time to really do work. You know, like that's how my brain is. Like, I mean, I was a pain in the ass when I was a teenager, and I'm like kind of normal, like, but you know, <laughs> so I can't imagine like all the challenges on top of that to be a parent. And I would say, I would say that people with disabilities don't really have major challenges that are not created by ableism. I would say that we would be fine if we didn't really have to like have issues with like truancy with school or, and those are guidelines that people put in. So average people, neurotypical people can like do better and better and like achieve whatever, you know, or like no child left behind was one of the worst things for people with disabilities. You know, like, it's just like, people think they know what's best, but what's best is treating people as individuals, you know, and and really doing an individualized care plan and, and imagining, like truly imagining what the best life for somebody could be. And it's hard to do when you see somebody with like an IQ of 52, like what does that look like? And what does that mean? And what does that body do? You know, and, um, and it's like, if, if you wanna create a paradigm where everybody grows up and gets married and like has a house of their own and like whatever, you know, like set it up for that. And guess what? Like people with disabilities can and will want that and they can do it, you know? And somebody told me that like at the front door of my house one day, they were like, look, Gabrielle's gonna like grow up and have her own life and she'll probably get married one day. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> like the door shut. <laughs> My mind was still like dribbling out of my ears. <laughs> yeah. Last I saw her, she was working at the vet clinic. I know she loves animals. That's still a passion and love of her. She got, she has the best animal names. Uh, she had a cat named Peanut Butter. No, Grilled Cheese. Grilled Cheese, Grilled Cheese, the cat. That was, I think, my favorite animal name of all time. And what's that Shawini's name again? Jack. 
Applejack, great name, such an animal lover. And again, like, you know, to listen to you talking this normative life, you know, you've even created your life personally outside those guidelines. I mean, since I've known you, right? You've been performing. You were the original Atlanta performer, for sure. Like, when the Burning Man was not a thing anybody knew about, and fire spinning, you were doing fire. Uh, that, was, that, was, that was, like, a generation before me, I'm sure. <laughs> it, was, it was small. It was small. I but, think you really wake, woke up Atlanta to that. Trapeze. I remember I used to go to, uh, like, the Gold Club. <laughs> And watch you up in the salt. Like, the gold room. The gold, the gold room. Yeah, totally. So do you, one, yeah. one thing I've never done, I've never been a stripper because I hate the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> like, if, if we were, like, so the gold, if you don't know, the gold club is like a famous strip joint in Atlanta. And then it was closed because those people went to prison for racketeering. <laughs> and, um, and then it reopened with these other owners that uh called it the gold room um but yeah uh I've never I've never done pole dance or stripping that wasn't burlesque (laughs) (laughs) um just because just because like patriarchy and capitalism I'm like no way Mm -hmm. the moment the moment we can do that for each other in a way that really celebrates uh like the divinity in all of us and like our real like sexual expression, I'll be there. I'll be there with bells on, whatever, you know, but <laughs> that's not going to happen for a long time. I love your sexual expression, you know, as you are. I met you as Melissa Coffee, mm-hmm. and I've watched you transition into Davy Swinton. And like I said to you the other day, you are like so handsome. Look at you, you know, and just, yes. Yes. And the reverse drag you did, I think, and I know you do so much work in the LGBTQ community as well. Talk about that. Uh, I'll first say like sexual expression and gender expression are different. So, um, so like my, my preferred name is Davy Swinton now and I'm they, them pronouns. Right. Uh, and I exist in a, very non-binary zone. I may, so I am doing like medically transitioning, which I, you know, it's like I'm over 40, like, like fuck it at this point, I'm biohacking, you know, like, um, who is that? Uh, so it was at the back of the bus. Oh my God. I'm like, she said this thing on Oprah. She was like, my tits are in a race to my waist, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got to this point of like, oh, menopause is here. Um, and I was like, you know what, it would, after a long time of considering it, I was like, you know, it would be, I think it's, thank you, Obama for Obamacare. It's like easy enough now that I can do this medical transition. And like, um, the other part of it is, you know, I thought for a moment and I think I'm wrong. I thought for a moment it might I might have enough time to think about myself, but I really don't. (laughs) But I've been spending time on it, you know, like, so as somebody who's raised somebody and like, I'm still Gabrielle's guardian forever, um, you know, 
like that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to do and that's a lot of like uh, like being outside of yourself so I felt like all right I can, I can spend this time and like speak about myself and also I've been in therapy this long so it's cute you know like Kaiser Obama like they all made it possible um but I'm like, what are we talking about? <laughs> I might not be transitioning from female to male. I'm just like, you know, never been, never been really comfortable completely, you know, as, as like performing the woman thing. And I think I worked really hard at it. Uh, always wondered kind of like what was wrong with me, but I would say there was a point in my mid thirties that I really felt comfortable and wonderful in my body at the same time. And then it went away again. <laughs> so I like did all this work from age 10 until, you know, like 34 or something. And then it was like, here I am, I'm femme and I'm like being celebrated and like I'm on stage all the time and whatever. And then it was like, everything started creeping back in you know, like the mirror moves, uh, the weird feelings happen. You're in a group of guys, you think you're all the same and then they take off all their clothes and you're like, wait, wait, I'm really different, you know? Um, so yeah, I'm not sure I'm like working to be a man and I have like so many feelings about that. Like I might end up looking like a man and all that, but I'm just kind of like, very done with the concepts of bouncing back and forth between binaries and satisfying other people so they can like check a box and know and know what's in my body or or whatever. I think I think that gender expression is a much more layered thing than, than a lot of people are dealing with. Um, but you know, when you know someone, you know someone. And if you don't know anyone, you really don't have the right to know what's in their blood or, or what they do with their doctor or like how they pee or how they have sex or, you know, who they have sex with. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm enjoying puberty for the first time. I'm reclaiming my body. The other day when we were talking about it, that you really are encompassing that yin and yang. You really do have that fluid strength of either one. And I really appreciate as someone who is your friend and who loves you so much. When we talked about it, I said, listen, I might forget, forget to call you they or them sometimes, you know? And I just really appreciated that you said, cool, I get it. Like just, you know, you accept me and you love me and that's great. So what advice would you give to someone struggling with gender and struggling with pronouns, etc.? You mean struggling with their own or other problems? Maybe both. Yeah. Um, God, I feel like I'm, I'm still in a struggle, you know, like I'm, I'm uh, constantly exploring. And, and what I would say is I had no idea how deep that rabbit hole really goes. It's like you take a step and then you just look off this ravine into all these other questions. 
Um, like I have on my Instagram TV, I have this like trapeze piece I did. That's like a spoken word. That's, that was just the, I just listed out questions that I had the last that month, you know, or two months. And, um, you know, people thought it was really deep and I'm like, girl, this is really, this is really between two menstrual cycles. Yo, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not that deep. That's like, you know, half a glass of half a glass of wine and 20 truffles in um <laughs> like let's talk about you know like three years or I mean I've I've had trans people in my family since I was 19 years old you know since you had to like get an elective hysterectomy to change your gender marker you know um and thing, or you had to like go out of, you had to go to your birth state to change your name and the judge could just decide what, what, if that was going to be a thing or not. Um, so, uh, no, no amount of having trans people around me of being deep in that, like I dated trans people, like most, most of my partners are, are trans in some way. Um, it really doesn't compare to the actual like walking through it. And, and it just comes back to something that a very wise person said, <laughs> very simple. You cannot know what you don't know. And um, you can kind of like try it on and you can think about it and you can relate it back to an experience you have, but you can't sit and look through that window. Um, if you haven't lived the experience. Um, and my experience is radically different than other people's. Uh, I would say a whole bunch of trans people are out there in the world trying to compare their medical notes. And I'm like, if you're not the same weight, age, and other conditions, it can't relate at all. You know, like a whole lot of data has to be collected before that happens. Um, and I'm like, I'm somebody who has lived in such extreme ways. I've, or I had kids, I'm ne I never was going to get married, you know, like um, I would sit in a trans support group and <laughs> we'd go around the circle and talk and, um, you know, like I'm queer as a $3 bill and I've always been that way except when I was in heavy denial and here's this person next to me who's like, you know, yeah, I'm straight and I'm just like, <laughs> let me, let me think about that for a while. Let me, okay. All right. And you know, I'll spend like 15 minutes, like looking at this person and being like, why do you call yourself that? Um, and they're, they're trying to have this really like cisgendered experience. And, uh, and, and I'm like, not trying to have that at all, you know, like, um, yeah, just definitely like whatever, whatever path was delivered to us in the seventies, eighties, <laughs> I was like, this ain't it let's do something else and so so and now I know like you know COVID obviously changed a lot of what you're doing but um last I talked to you are doing a lot of retreats a lot of yoga a lot of experiences the coronation ball will you talk about that yeah so um I don't know when I started doing retreats I know when it was like 2013 was the official real kickoff, but I researched it for a long time and I kind of had to leave my awesome design career, like apparel design 
um, which I loved in order to do circus because I was like, hey, I'm in my 30s. I need to use my body before I'm 40 because then everything will fall apart, you know, mm -hmm. um, which is wrong. Um, so that was my thought. And, uh, and I was just teaching and performing. Um, I found new levels of poverty <laughs> through not working for other people. But I've, I worked for myself you know, since 2000, at least, you know, like solely. So uh, when I was in this moment of having a salary job as a designer, that was really sweet. And I weaned myself off and started this retreat company, you know, so I was like a designer and then like performing and then and teaching and just like had five jobs. And then I was like, and I also can't really afford a vacation anymore. So I'm going to give other people vacations. And, um, and that wasn't the main goal, but it was definitely a piece of it. It originated because I wanted to be able to do something with my kid who was over 10 years old that, was, that included circus, you know? And the only thing in the world was um, Club Med. And so I did all this research and it was at a time when the internet wasn't really useful. And I did like so much research and I found one person who's still in the retreat business in Mexico. And uh, I went to one of her retreats and I was like, this is exactly, you know, what I want to do. Um, and, but I want to do it, you know, somewhere else. Um, and so I just, went on an exploratory trip and just started doing retreats. So I went from having one retreat a year and it was mainly based around circus arts, like mainly aerial with some yoga. And then it uh, like last, the, the year before this, we actually made our way to Thailand. So we did Costa Rica and Thailand and I had four retreats and like taking 50 people to Thailand is insane. Um, but it, they were very successful. Um, we had, I had like the time of my life, um, in a hundred degree weather, uh, training like six hours a day. So, so it was awesome. And then I set up like six months of retreats this year and we kind of know how that went. Um, I did a couple and then I, it was really hard for some people to get back and some people are still think my last friend in Costa Rica has might have might be in Chicago now you know like like we really went to the wire yeah. um <laughs> and then they were like you know what we're closing the borders so he made a decision to stay and <laughs> just do flying trapeze and now he's like I really need to return to Chicago man <laughs> he's like I'm so sick of it <laughs> and that retreat name it's dances with air yeah, it's Dances in Air. Dances in Air. So when COVID is done, we can check that out. And your best <laughs> to follow you is on Instagram, right? Mm -hmm. Davy underscore Swinton Performer. Is that your... So Davy Swinton underscore Performer. If you just type in Davy Swinton, you'll find it. And then Dances in Air is the retreat stuff. Um, I haven't posted to that in a long time. I just haven't really... I've just been on one Instagram. So the Davies Swinton Instagram kind of has all the news right now. We may end up like throwing a retreat that's very vacation-y that just is 
I don't know, it could be called like, get, get me the hell out of here. Um. <laughs> it's fun. I did one of those last year. I highly recommend it. <laughs> right. You're yeah. like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Imagine not working your butt off on vacation. It's a good one. So. <laughs>